Hello listeners, welcome to another episode on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza, with your host, Grace Hopper. The Abuse of the Poor There is no primary poverty left in this country. Margaret Thatcher stated in 1978, shortly before she became Prime Minister, and embarked on a massive deindustrialization policy that resulted in millions losing their jobs and a huge increase in both poverty and inequality throughout the 1980s. There may be poverty because people don't know how to budget, don't know how to spend their earnings. Such poverty is a product not of social policy but of personality defect, she continued. Nearly half a century later, the same mantra is being continually repeated by her successors in the belief that responsibility for poverty lies with the disadvantaged and deprived themselves. As part of a long campaign of blaming and punishing the poor for their own misfortunes, there is a belief among conservative politicians and some sections of the population, but obviously not the poor themselves and that poverty and inequality are moral than political issues. This attitude has long historical roots, dating back to at least the undeserving poor definition of the 19th century. The UK is a country of two nations, the one that most people inhabit, in which the government scorns the idea of finding the money to fund a well-functioning state, and the other, parallel universe that inhabits story imaginations where spending large sums of money or raising levels of tax to pay public sector employees appropriately is anathema. The age of austerity that commenced in 2010 in the wake of the financial crisis and the resulting lack of investment required to keep a country functioning has led to wide-ranging institutionalized state failures multiple interconnected inequalities, shrinking public services, and a grievous failure to protect people, particularly vulnerable citizens. There is a warped ideology dating back to Thatcher era that says cutting levels of taxation, not raising them, is what encourages economic growth, increases productivity, and leads to the trickle-down prosperity, especially for those at the bottom. It is the same small state thinking that views income tax as a stealth tax by forcing the fabulously rich to pay more when they should be paying less. It's impossible to see how the current multitude of crises afflicting the country will abate without a major increase in public spending and raising the wages of the lowest paid. The only realistic method to do this in the long term is to redistribute wealth from rich to poor and paying the workforce wages they can actually live on. In the Britain of 2022, the income of the poorest fifth of the population fell by 3.8%, whilst that of the richest fifth rose by 1.6%. 
this is a continuing trend that has remained unchanged for many years, resulting in the country becoming more unequal with wealth gravitating towards the well-off. This imbalance was clearly illustrated when the former Chancellor of the Exchequer carelessly failed to pay a $5 billion tax bill, a sum of money far greater than most people will ever earn in a lifetime. A recent Daily Mail headline quoting the conservative think tank Civitas announced with barely restrained disgust that half the population of the UK are reliant on state dependency, contribute little to the economy and get something for nothing. The statement begs the question that the Daily Mail understand that the reason why the richest 10% of the population pay half of all income tax is because they own half of all the country's wealth. The lot of the less well-off is also exacerbated by the wholly unjust system of failing to tax the vast sums of unearned wealth held by the rich. Those prosperous enough to do so conceal themselves behind a thin veneer of practicing a moral sense of sacrifice by doing what they decide is right in order to help the less well-off, at least by paying lip service as a conscience cleaner. With a minimum of effort and maximum publicity, they promote their desire to do good work on behalf of the poor and needy in society. As if that assuages any remaining guilt caused by being rich. The dilettante who dabbles in good deeds may or may not be aware that charity exists to relieve the rich and privileged of the burden of their conscience, while placing the serious business of getting things done squarely back onto the little people who actually get things done. The vast majority of those working in the charitable sector, often poorly paid or as volunteers, are themselves not particularly well off and accomplish much more with no fuss or bother, eschewing publicity, not basking in the limelight. Twenty years ago, the word food bank was all but unknown, even in the more desperate and deprived area of the country. Even as recently as 2008, at the start of the global economic crisis, Regular users total 26,000 nationwide. Today, it has entered common usage and requires no explanation of meaning to anyone, let alone the estimated 2.5 million people who use over 3,000 food banks throughout the country. Food banks exist because men, women and children of all ages and across social strata are united by desperate need and poverty, a lack of income required to pay for the essentials in everyday life. The issue that is often overlooked is not the amount of money people have coming in, but just how much is going out. Food, energy, rents and mortgages are all increasing as the cost of living escalates. What is often overlooked and curiously rarely commented on is that a loaf of bread or a pint of milk costs the same for everyone, whether it's a family struggling to survive on a minimum wage or less, or a multimillionaire 
former chairman of the Conservative Party. To exacerbate a difficult situation still further, many families now face an increasing threat of eviction from their homes, and not necessarily due to rent areas, but because private landlords can't afford increased mortgage repayments and need to sell their properties. Along with all the other stresses derived from the past 12 years of austerity, the COVID pandemic and the UK leaving the EU, the accumulative effect on an individual's mental and physical health will undoubtedly push anyone to the brink. The vast majority of those who use food banks are not just living in relative poverty, but also have one or more health issues. As many as half of food bank users are actually in employment, but the work they do is so poorly paid that they struggle to make ends meet. A large proportion are also single parents, responsible for preschool children for whom work of any sort is out of the question, especially with limited and unaffordable childcare provision. Even a parent whose children are at school will find that his or her options are partially or completely non-existent. The fact that food banks are an essential requirement for hundreds of thousands of people in what is supposedly the sixth richest nation in the world illustrates just one aspect of a society where public services the health service, care homes, schools, national and local government are barely functioning or are on the brink of collapse after years of chronic underinvestment. You don't have to be a cynic to suspect that this government in particular has a vested interest keeping people both ill and poor, otherwise they might be rioting on the streets and throwing rocks such is the level of exasperation. And if the national malaise was not depressingly egregious enough, blaming and shaming the poor for their predicament not only continues, it actually increases unabated. Attacks on the wokeism, virtue signaling, and all-out culture warfare from self-appointed rebel rusers and exaggerated in echo chamber of social media has encouraged a level of directed diatribe and unrestrained aggression that shows no sign of diminishing. Almost every week, a new face, usually a man, appears on the scene with the intention of looking for scapegoats and whipping up hysteria and speaking their mind, translated as shooting their mouth off. The latest who throw his hat into the controversy ring and join the fray is the boorish and unsubtle Lee Anderson. Tory MP for Ashfield and Eastwood and recently appointed Deputy Chairman of the Conservative Party. Greg Hands may be chairman, but many Tory MPs and party members believe Prime Minister Rishi Sunak intentionally appointed the pugnacious Anderson to appeal to right-wing working-class conservatives, including many in Red Wall seats in the north of England and the Midlands, that the Tories won from Labour at the 2019 general election. 
Anderson is completely shameless when it comes to making off the cough remarks along with the fellow Tory MPs. Brendan Clark Smith and Sir Robert Sims to say he's disdainful of food banks will be a glaring understatement. He has gained further notoriety by suggesting in Parliament that the need for food banks was related to a lack of teaching on budgeting and cooking, adding that do-gooders were starting food banks to make themselves feel good and that there was no massive need for them. This comment drew criticism from opposition MPs and food campaigner Jack Moreau, who hinted at taking legal action after Anderson alleged in an interview that she's taking money off some of the most vulnerable people and society and making an absolute fortune on the back of people. Anderson later backtracked on his comments saying he had been misrepresented. He has also taken to lecturing nurses on how to budget within their salary. Not that this irony-free zone is best placed to dictate to those earning a fraction of his £84,144 salary based on the bulk buying of food to provide meals for large numbers. Anderson has cynically suggested that people could leave on meals cooked for mere pennies, hence the nickname 30p Lee. Most recently, Anderson is being sued for libel after making comments about a man who runs a food bank charity in his constituency. Michael Hollis was said to be outraged after the MP made claims about money in brown envelopes changing hands in relation to a planning application which he said amounted to defamatory allegations of bribery. The allegation was made in a Facebook post, published to his 35,000 followers, which Anderson refused to remove, hence the legal action. Amid allegations of dishonesty, Anderson has plenty of prior form when it comes to stirring up controversy. A former coal miner, long-time member of the Labour Party and later Labour councillor, he was suspended by them in 2018 for trying to prevent, prevent travellers from setting up camp in the area and was given a community protection warning by the same local council that he was a member of. He then defected to the Tories, standing and winning the Nottinghamshire seat in 2019, the year of what turned out to be the great Tory landslide that propelled Boris Johnson into number 10. Since being elected, Anderson has continued to cut controversy. He was a signatory to a letter accusing the National Trust of being colored by cultural Marxist dogma, accusing the traveler community in his constituency of Tifri, voicing his support for offshore processing of asylum applications in the Falkland Islands and accused migrants of lying to falsely claim asylum. Prior to embarking on a parliamentary career, he has been variously accused of staging a door knock whilst campaigning, has been investigated by the Conservative Party over claims of anti-Semitism, supported far-right Islamophobia, barely disguised flirting with Nazi and white supremacists, and promoting various conspiracy theories. 
There has been many other crude and provocative public interventions, including comments made in Parliament criticizing gypsies, urging Royal Navy frigates to ferry asylum seekers straight back to France and think nuisance tenants should be made to camp out in tents and pick vegetables from dawn to dusk. He announced that he was refusing to watch any England matches as he objected to footballers taking the knee. To add to the catalogue of offence, he was also accused of making transphobic comments about comedian Eddie Izzard, for whom, for whom Anderson was reported to the police, an action he referred to as a waste of police time. He also suggested that then-Prime Minister Boris Johnson was the victim of a witch hunt led by the BBC after a vote of no confidence in his suitability for office, although he shortly afterwards withdrew his support for the then-Prime Minister. Anderson maintained that many people outside Westminster thought he spoke good sense. If I say something that is supposedly outrageous in that place, the comments, I get back to Ashfield on a Thursday. People will come out the shops and say, you say what I'm thinking. He has lauded capital punishment as 100% effective as dead people don't commit crimes. Something even the most dweebish idiot will be aware of. As it happens, a third of all voters share this opinion, mostly those who are older and poorer. The demographic, the Tories, have always been reliant on in order to get into and retain power. He may bask in the glory of being the pugnacious darling of the Tory rot, but it's clear that whatever the reactions to his comments, it's apparent that being objectionable doesn't bother him one iota. His unalloyed use of Twitter to boast his profile will probably be his undoing. Anderson's a social media star, in the same vein, creating a larger-than-life version of himself to stand out among his colleagues. It's not that he doesn't believe what he says, but he chooses to express it in the most aggressive way possible. Anderson revel in the notoriety he generates, but he runs a serious risk of alienation many of his constituents, including those who voted for him in 2019. There is a widespread belief that he is increasingly more preoccupied with grandstanding and burnishing his own self-image than dealing with the woes of his constituents. He should be asking them is will they vote for him again if he continues to shoot his mouth off with gross and offensive remarks to the extent that the voters and the Conservative Party want to see the back of him. Despite some MPs on his own side privately supporting Anderson's outspoken views, views that they couldn't dream of expressing themselves because they reflect those of many Tory heartland voters who would never consider casting a vote for any other party. They realistically accept that he alienates just as many as concur with him. Before the launch of the recent libel suit, more than one senior Tory, when hearing the news of Mr. Anderson's appointment as deputy chairman, stated he could be a walking embarrassment to the party and has only been in the job less than a month. 
going on past form, it is clear he intends to continue unrestrained in the same vein. And if the party decides that it made a gross error of judgment in appointing an outspoken liability to the position of deputy chairman and get rid of him, he won't be too concerned by who he takes down with him. Sadly, one thing does seem fairly certain. Food banks will probably be around a lot longer than 30p Lee. This has been your host, Grace Opa for Raza. Rising above shadows of abuse. See you on our next episode. Be safe and be positive. You can leave your comments on our social media handles or at our email address, risingaboutshadowsofabuse at gmail.com. Take care.